I, I posted this bottle this morning on Facebook, and here's, here's what I want you to know that it represents Jesus today. I mean, hey, we're in a pub, so why wouldn't a beer bottle represent Jesus? But here's, here's what you know, is that you know what the beer bottle looks like. You can even uh, lift it up and see how heavy it is. And we can see the humanity of Jesus. We can see that God sent His Son here on earth in human form. That's history. He's in the history books. Every faith will recognize that Jesus was a real person. We can see that Jesus was tired. We could see that Jesus bled. We could see that Jesus wept. He was very much human. But what you don't know is what's on the inside. Anybody take a guess of what's on the inside here? Beer. You say beer, you say root beer. Liquid, oh, okay. I see where you're going there. Uh, oh, Chad on the front row. He goes for life. He goes for the theological answer. But look at this. You, you have no idea what is in the bottle. Does anybody have a clue what that is? I get wine out there. Spirits. You, you go the liquid. You get the generalization over here. Coke. Nope. I could give you 30, 40, 50 guesses and you would never guess that. Nope. Cheers to Chase, by the way. Nope. It's black cherry soda. <laughs> you see, we may see the humanity of Jesus, but do we truly see the deity of Jesus? Do we see who he really is? I go back to that verse in Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And... Today, I want to talk to you about those two things. I want to express to you the humanity of Jesus, yet at the same time, I want to talk about the deity of Jesus. And I could give you my opinions. I could give you my opinions, but we all know what that's worth. So what I want to do today is I want to stick totally to Scripture. I'm going to read, I, I don't, when I teach, which I haven't done in a while, uh, I usually teach straight through a passage of Scripture, but today that's not the case. I want to show you the humanity in the Scriptures. I want to show you the deity in the Scriptures. So we're going to read a lot of Scriptures. But think about this for a second. Do I have, who is my biggest dog lover in the whole world? Not just your dog but dogs in general. 
What? Mackenzie's not here. Amy, you're up there. You have the dog on your phone. Can I ask you a personal question? You got, not just your dog, but all dogs, right? Let's say that there is a, a worldwide issue that all dogs are going to die. Unless you transform into a dog and are able to talk to them, you would do that. You, you, you would, I'm talking about for the rest of your life, for an hour, I mean, all he's going to do is pet your head and you're going to stick your tongue out, you know, and wag your tail and yeah, that's, that's a little rough. I don't know of anybody that would, nobody loves dogs that much, right? But think about it, not to call us dogs, but God the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit are sitting in heaven and He says, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. That's a big ask. But watch this. The humanity of Jesus. Let's talk about the humanity. Just the, the human side. I start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Yeah, that's a big ask. To do that. But we go back and we can see his birth. You all are very familiar with his birth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I could preach all day on that. But Luke chapter 2 is the Christmas story, and it says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him, for them. This is the Son of God. Comes and is born in a stable. It's rough. John 1, 4, 6. As I say John, he comes up here on stage. Are you rearranging still? I'll let you do it. This is my son, Corey, as well. Can they see? It's maybe that chair too. Thank you, gentlemen. John chapter 1, verse 46 says this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. You see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He went to Egypt, but then when he came back, he was actually raised up. In Nazareth, he was the son of a carpenter, and he took on his dad's traits as a carpenter. Yet, Nazareth had this reputation that was like, not so great. I almost said a a city around here, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, 
Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. This is Jesus. He came and he was born. He took on human form and it is not only talked about in Scripture, but it's proven in history that Jesus was a real man. They may only refer to him as a good man or a prophet, but we know better. His circumstances of humanity, I just said that he was a carpenter's son. He literally had no home. After he grew up and went into the ministry, he had no place to lay his head. He was loved by some, and he was absolutely hated by others. He chose this, your Savior. And what about his reputation? Let me read this. This is Isaiah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament. Long before Jesus was ever born, he prophesied what was going to happen about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 2 through 9, he says, He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah wasn't that great looking. It wasn't one of these dudes that you're just like immediately attracted to. In fact, you kind of like, hmm. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. This is our Savior. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He's in heaven. He comes down here and he takes this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He remained quiet in the midst of the chaos and accusations. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for he was struck because of my people's my people rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. This was Isaiah years before Jesus even came here on earth, predicted, prophesied, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Matthew twenty six fifty nine. it says, the chief priest, And the whole Sanhedrin 
were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. This was the Holy Week that we are practicing this week. But you and I, we practice this every day, right? Matthew 26, 67 goes on, it says, Then they spat in his face and they beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? They mocked him right to his face. This is your Savior who came in human form. And then, of course, he, he had a soul. We each have a soul. That's the personality. That's the emotions. That's, that's the will. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He's human. He liked to eat. But he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. You ever done that? You ever done one day? Two days? A week? Look, it says Luke twenty two forty four. it says, Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And there's like, you know, as Keith was talking about, he wept for Lazarus, and we all think it's because he died, but maybe it's just because he's got to bring him back. It's a great thought. Why is he weeping in the garden so much that it would, not weeping, but sweating, that it would cause blood to come out? That this, this human body that was contained, he's had enough. He's had enough. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. That would be you. So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus was tempted just like you are. The the same thoughts, similar thoughts that you have, he had. But he never gave in to sin. He was tempted just like you. Oh, now, now listen to this verse. Listen, listen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for those of you that are hurting in this room, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. I have a Savior that came from heaven to walk here on earth and go through a brutal life and be tempted just like I'm tempted. And He sympathizes with me. He gets where I'm coming from. That's my Savior. And then, of course, is death. 
We think about his death, the body. Mark chapter, you look in Luke 23 and John 19, but Mark chapter 15, verse 24, it says, then they crucified him. <laughs> That's it. Then they crucified him. They divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. Then, of course, his burial. His burial was Isaiah chapter 53. We just read that. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. That was fulfilled. Look, Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, it says, When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Prophecy fulfilled. History, it was made. This is what happened to our Savior. The greatest thing in his humanity was his humiliation. And it was necessary. First, to execute the purpose of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And then, in his humbleness, he fulfilled the prophecies. There's over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus and even in the New Testament. In 1969, Professor Peter Stoner like that name, Professor Stoner, took eight, just eight of those prophecies that were found in the Scriptures, eight of them. One, that he was born in Bethlehem. He was preceded by a messenger, which was John the Baptist, riding on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, money used to buy a potter's field, silent as a lamb, hands and feet pierced. Eight prophecies, just eight. He took those eight prophecies And he had his math students do a study of the science of probability. They came up with one chance in 10 to the 17th power. That's one chance in 10 with 17 zeros after it. For all eight prophecies to be fulfilled. And interesting enough, some years later, his grandson went back to the problem and decided it was actually 10 to the 18th power. (laughs) I'm not sure where the distinction lies, but (laughs) that's like if you take the state of Texas and you cover it with silver dollars and you have someone that's blindfolded go and pick out one pre-marked silver dollar that they would find it. He fulfilled the prophecy in human form. 
And then, of course, he also satisfied the law of the guilty and brought us eternal redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 and 15, he says, He entered the most holy place once, once, for all time. Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's my Savior. He died one time. And what the whole old covenant did, the blood that was poured out every year, the Day of Atonement, the sacrifices were made by bulls and goats, birds. It could only cover, it could only atone, but Jesus' blood forgave and forgot. All sins, all time. One time. Now, You go, okay, so he came in human form and he can sympathize. I'm sitting here in a room with issues that Jesus can sympathize with. In this room, you deal with acceptance issues. You deal with stress, anxiety, depression, Serious mental stress is a fact for the life of many Americans. Seven in ten teens say anxiety and depression are major problems among their peers. We got alcohol and drug issues in here. We have sexual activity in here. We have cyber addiction in here, social networking. We've got bullying and cyberbullying. We've got peer pressure. We've got desensitization. We've got poverty. We've got disrespect and defiant behaviors. We've got trust. We've got motivation. Yet, we have a Savior that can sympathize with us. Because He's been here. And He walked this earth. Now this, so good. We can prove this. We can prove this because everybody can see this, but can we prove this? It would be easy for me to take scriptures that Jesus claimed, yeah, I'm, I'm he. But what, can we find other scriptures Luke chapter 1, the birth. Verse 35, the angel replied to her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. Mary, you will birth the Son of God. Joseph Sorry, you didn't have anything to do with this. You may help him raise up, but this is between God and Mary. And then, literally, we have his whole ministry of miracles, which was approximately three to four years. 
the works, get this, the works of God done by Christ. Jesus says, what you've seen me do, this is my Father that did it through me. Jesus, in his humbleness, said, I didn't do this, the Father did it. I'm standing up here on the stage, sitting here, standing here today saying, that's not me talking today, that's the Father talking through me. I trust him enough. We can look in Scripture and we can find at minimum 37 miracles that were done by Jesus. 37. But there's three that are considered the messianic miracles. Sure, he did some miracles like turning water into wine that some magicians and people could do as well. But there were three messianic miracles that nobody else could do. And when the Pharisees basically were looking for the Messiah, they had determined if anybody does these three, we're going to be watching them. The first thing Jesus did was he healed a Jewish leper. No one had ever done that before. The second thing that he did is he cast a demon out of a mute. Someone who couldn't speak or hear. And typically, when the Pharisees would cast out demons, they would look directly at the person and speak to the demon and ask them what their name was, and the demon would tell them what their name was, and they would cast them out by name. But if a person couldn't speak, how can he do that? Jesus did. And then... Healing the man that was born blind. I went to that Greek Orthodox church on 116th Street. While they were painting, they had painters from Greece. If you've never been in there, you got to go in there. Just go in there. They love for you to come check out their church. It's beautiful. To have the Bible painted on the ceiling and everything else, but... While they were painting, there was a nun, a sister in there, and I was, they, they had the Jesus healing the blind man, and I'm like, oh, that's one of the messianic miracles. And she goes, you know what's great about that is? Is because he was born blind. Most likely he was born without eyeballs. What? I've never heard that in my life. But what did Jesus do? He spit in the ground and he rolled up mud and he put mud in the dude's eyes. He literally made eyeballs out of nothing. Beat that. The third messianic miracle. Are you kidding me? Oh, what about this? You want to talk about the deity, the deity of Jesus. Before Jesus even went to the cross, he forgave sin. Matthew chapter 9, they brought the paralytic in from the roof. It says, so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town, Nazareth. Just then some men brought him to a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Wait, you, you haven't even gone to the cross yet. You, your blood hasn't been poured out. The perfect blood hasn't been poured out. How is that possible? 
At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Which one's harder? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. He did both. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority, authority to men. His deity has been proven through the miracle. And then the sacrifice for forgiveness, the blood poured out. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of a true one, but into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times. I'm not dying and having my blood poured out every year. As the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifices of himself. I have news for you. He forgave you, those who believe in Jesus in this room, one time. So stop asking for forgiveness every day. It's been done. <laughs> Chapter 10, verse 10 says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time which can never take away sins. But this man after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You believe in Jesus? He forgave you of all your sins? And guess what? He has perfected you. Ha! You're perfected. Go tell your mom and dad. I love this. You need to hear this today. The deity of Jesus. He claimed the ability to give rest to anyone. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you who are plain religion, stop. Just stop. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I didn't do these miracles. My father did them through me. I'm not standing up here teaching. The father's doing it through me. I'm not breathing. My father's doing it through me. Just breathe. Quit playing the game. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
proof of his deity, his resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After he'd suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You guys, you get this? Jesus came in human form, he died, he was buried, and he rose again, he was resurrected, and he literally went and hung out with people after his burial. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. That's you. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now come and is living inside of you. There's a holy living God inside of you. Happy Easter. Every day. Every day. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and all throughout Fishers, all throughout Carmel, all throughout Indiana. You let the Spirit just live through you, walk through you, and you will be my light. Hmm. The deity of Jesus. And then, of course, he promised his return. Last few verses here. John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Jesus was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, through Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him for Him. He is before all things and by all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have a first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hmm. Matthew twelve thirty-eight says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Wait, 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 I've already done all these miracles. You want more? I've done the three messianic miracles. You want more? He says this, this is, this is important, watch this. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You all know the story about Jonah and the big fish, Right? For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, Jonah died. He was dead in the fish. No campfires in the big fish. (laughs) Sorry. He died. 
So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. Jonah was resurrected. He was spit out of the big fish and he was resurrected. You want to see another miracle? You're going to see a miracle. You're going to see me buried in the ground for three days and you're going to see me resurrected. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Mm. In the last verses I read to you today to talk about the deity of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Church who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. That word form right there, it literally means the outward expression of an inward nature. This means that in eternity past, Jesus Christ was God. In fact, Paul states that He was equal with God. Verse 7, it says, Instead, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, you can clearly see through history that Jesus was real. Jesus' history, his humanity, is recorded in history. Even Even the deity, even the deity of Jesus has been recorded. His birth, his ministry, his death, his burial, and thank God his resurrection. But it still takes faith. You see it, it's proven. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, uh, thanks for your word. Thanks for this week that um, really the world celebrates your death, burial, and resurrection. But may we as a body of believers, a church, may we remember and celebrate that every day of our life. That you have given us life here on earth and that we can enjoy it now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven. That your spirit has come and resides in us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.